Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Okay, Genesis 2, verses 21 to 26. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. One more. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Alright, we've covered all we're going to uh, deal with in Genesis chapter 1. We've had actually three sessions on it. And now tonight we're going to uh, take one section out of Genesis chapter 2 and tonight I want to talk about Christ and his bride. Let's uh, just, uh, well you've got your Bibles open I presume here. When we go back to the sixth day of creation as we've seen in our previous sessions, God made the, uh, the lights and the earth and the heavens and the firmament and sun, moon and stars and everything like that and beasts and birds and fish but the masterpiece of creation was the man and the woman and in verse 26 of chapter 1 we're told and God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and all the earth and over every creeping thing that uh, that creepeth upon the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them. It was not male and male or female and female. Amen. It was male and female created he them. So that rules out some of the immoral things going on today. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. All right, so the man and the woman was God's masterpiece in creation. Now, as we uh, look at the scriptures, and we're going to turn to uh, several passages here tonight, we find that this whole event in chapter 2, the the, uh, in in chapter 1, God sort of lists out the work of the six days, but in chapter 2, he sort of goes back over some of the things of the six days and gives a few more details. And uh, that's what we have particularly in the in the making of the man and the woman and especially when it comes to the making of the woman, the the bride for Adam. Now as we look at the scriptures tonight we've uh, been following this pattern that we have there that creation what happened in creation was a shadowing of what was going to happen under redemption so we're going to look at this first marriage tonight, the first marriage, the sinless marriage, and what happened back there in creation of the man and the woman was shadowing forth the, the ultimate marriage of Christ and the church, of Christ and his bride. So let's put way down here uh, the marriage of Christ and his church. The marriage of Christ and his church, his bride. Now, what what does the word marriage mean to you? When we speak of the marriage of Christ and his church, what does marriage really symbolize? I mean, what what is marriage? Union, yes. Another word, yes. A pun? A yoke, yes. Yoke, union, intimacy, yes. Coming together, yes. Some other words too? Did you have your hand up there? Oneness, yes. Joining, yes. Covenant, relationship. All those words because you see we're living in a day when marriage is becoming obsolete. But there's one marriage that will never become obsolete. And there's one marriage that will never end in divorce. Praise God the marriage of Christ and his church. So when we speak of the marriage of Christ and his church, 
We're speaking about that relationship, that union, that intimacy, that coming together, that oneness that is to come about between Christ and the church. And before that comes about, there's something to happen in the church that I'm going to touch on a little bit tonight. All right, now just to show, before we go back to the beginning, I'd like to look at the end here with a few things. Let's turn to a few passages of scriptures here uh, concerning this figure of marriage that the Lord speaks of this relationship between himself and his people. Revelation chapter 19, uh, let's go through about five scriptures here um, just to show how, how uh, often this thought is used, the marriage of Christ and the church. And there's uh, tremendous questions that we could ask that we're not going to be able to cover tonight, but, you know, uh, who's going to be in that marriage? Who's going to be in the bride? Uh, are there any qualifications of being in the bride of Christ? Or does it matter whether you live in grace or disgrace that you're going to be in the bride? Someone was saying to Yankee Frankie the other day, oh, I'm in the bride, he's half dead drunk and, you know, living a moral life or sniffing a few drugs and that. But I'm in the bride, I'm eternal secure, I'm in the bride. Well, what I understand of the bride, there's going to be certain qualifications. Before I got my bride, I mapped out all the qualifications, everything but perfect. <laughs> Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Seems like there's got to be some preparation here. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white or bright. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Uh, note the contrast in verse 9, and he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the what? The marriage supper. Now in verse 7 we have the marriage of the Lamb. In verse 9 we have the marriage supper. Is the bride called to the supper or is she there by her own right? Now the bride is at the marriage. And who comes to the marriage supper? What did you say? The guests. Okay, the spirit and the bride say, come see. In here we have two things that are linked the marriage of the lamb, the wife making herself ready, and the garments that she's to be clothed, clothed in, clean and white, or bright, the Greek word is also, the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints, righteousness, righteousnesses, inwrought, imputed, and outworked. And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper. Now, I don't want just to be called to the marriage supper, I would like to be at the marriage. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus takes this thought up a little bit more. Matthew chapter 22. And uh, a tremendous parable here that we can only just draw your attention to. And Jesus spake unto them again by parables and said... The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Who's the certain king? The father. So the father of a certain king, the kingdom of heaven is like unto this. The father is the certain king, he is king over all things, and he made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them which were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And again he sent forth other servants, tell them, which are bidden, behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the marriage. They're not saying come to the marriage supper, they're saying come to the marriage. There's a supper involved. And we see the response, I don't want to continue on here, but the excuse is they made light of it. And there are people today who make light of the marriage of Christ and his church. And uh, they treated the servants roughly and so forth. And what happened? In verse 9, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. 
All of us have a marriage, an invitation to a wedding. We all like to go to weddings. Well, we've got the greatest wedding invitation that the world's ever going to see. And so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with what? Guests. I don't want to shock you too much, but uh, look at verse 11. When the king came in to see the guests, uh, where's the bride? He saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. When you understand the Eastern custom that everybody who was invited to a wedding or a wedding supper or marriage, they were provided a garment. And this fellow had rejected the garment and snuck in. Now there's a wedding garment. And he said, how did you get in without the wedding garment? And he was speechless. And he was cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I just want to throw a question into your mind without answering it. If the wedding is up in heaven, how is any guest going to get up there without a wedding garment and then be cast out? Matthew 25, while we're in Matthew again. Just some funny things to think about. We're talking about the union of Christ and his church, that relationship, that marriage. Matthew 25 and verses 1 through to 13, we're not going to read it. We have the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And verse 6, verse 5 and 6, while the bridegroom tarried, They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. Then the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said, Give us of your oil, for our lamps, margin, are going out. Can't make them sinners, because sinners don't have lamps, sinners don't have oil, sinners are not looking for the coming of the bridegroom. And when we get on, verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. The others came too late and said, open to us, but it was too late. The message is, watch. So it's evident that there's going to be believers who are like foolish virgins and not have enough oil to take them to the marriage. And there's going to be wise virgins going to take them in the mouth. I'd like to have enough oil. Price of oil's gone up. Naturally and spiritually. This is the time to buy oil. Some people are going to wake up and say, Give us the oil. We want the baptism of the Spirit. We want oil. Give us, we believe, we'll, we'll have tongues and everything. You can't say those foolish virgins are professors or sinners. Something to think about. Still the marriage. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, we'll read verses 1 through to 3 and start to see the significance because we're looking at the end, the ultimate marriage of Christ and his church with a view to going back to a pattern, a blueprint that was laid down there that we're going to uh, look at. So 2 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Think of the wise virgins, the foolish virgins. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve. Oh, now he goes way back to the first bride. And the first husband, Adam. And he says, I fear that as the serpent beguiled that first virgin who was espoused and presented to the first husband, I fear that what happens in that marriage will happen here because I want you to be married to Christ. I've espoused you, but I'm frightened that as deception took place there, so the church will be deceived. 
But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And you see back there, you see a serpent standing before a woman. In Revelation 12, you see a serpent standing before a woman. In Genesis 3, next week, we'll see the serpent standing before the woman, and the woman was deceived. In Revelation 12, you see a serpent standing before a woman, but that woman's not deceived, because she is the bride. One other scripture here, Ephesians, or two other scriptures, and then we're going to go back uh, to the Old Testament. Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, and what we are looking at tonight together uh, is founded in the revelation given to the Apostle Paul. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll just take out a couple of verses for the present because we're going to come back to it later. After in verse 25 he says about husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but it should be holy and without blemish. Look at all the qualifications for being in that glorious church. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. And you'll notice in verse 31, and we'll pick it up again, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now here in Ephesians 5, Paul goes way back to the first marriage, back to the scripture that Cecily read. And he takes the words out of Adam's mouth concerning his bride and he says uh, what happened back there in creation is prophetic of what's going to happen in redemption. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. So on the authority of Paul, who went back to the first marriage and took the words out of Adam's mouth concerning his bride, he says, oh, this is a great mystery. I'm talking about the last Adam and his bride, the great mystery, Christ and the church. One more scripture from the New Testament, but I, uh, I'm sort of giving you New Testament as a foundation of what I want to say about the old. John chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. And uh, verse 29, John the Baptist is speaking. And in verse 29, when he's been questioned about Jesus... Uh, perhaps we ought to take verse 27 to lead into thought. He says, uh, John Anson said, A man can receive nothing or take unto himself nothing except it be given him from above. Ye yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. And then he just shoots off on some mysterious little tangent here. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Now, we've got no mistake on all these scriptures that we've been looking at, that the bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Lord Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, he is the last Adam. And we're going to go back to the first bridegroom, the first Adam. And he says, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Where was the bride? says the bridegroom's got the bride, but the bride has not yet been made manifest. When God created Adam as the first bridegroom, where was the bride? He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Adam had the bride in his side, yet to be manifested, yet to be brought out where she, be, she could be seen, yet to be built. We'll see. And uh, take this for what it's worth. Eternity will prove it. But the friend of the bridegroom, 
which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. Now I believe in the great marriage because, you know, we could ask all these questions, who's the bridegroom, who's in the bride, who's the best man, who are the guests, uh, when does the marriage take place? There's a dozen questions we could ask on this uh, exciting thing that's in seed form here. But I personally believe that John the Baptist is the best man. Uh, you think of the wedding, weddings that we have here. The best man comes up, <laughs> he's got the ring, and uh, his whole joy is to hear the bridegroom's voice. When Brother Dick or Isaac, someone says, will you accept this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? To have and to hold, to love and to cherish? You'll never have to say till death do us part on this one. Who's going to give the bride away? And then the minister turns to the best man and says, have you got the ring? And the, and, the, and the best man's joy is fulfilled when he gives the ring and he hears the bridegroom say, I will. <laughs> well, John the Baptist, he stands at the close of the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament dispensation, and he stands at the opening of the New Testament dispensation and he introduces the bridegroom. Behold the Lamb of God, the marriage of the Lamb is come. And he introduces the bridegroom and he says, don't look at me, look, I'm just the best man, I'm just the forerunner, I'm just, the, I'm just here to announce the bridegroom. And when I hear the bridegroom's voice, this my joy is fulfilled. But he's the one, that got, he's the one that's got the bride. Oh, the bride is yet to be manifested, but just as God was going to bring forth the bride out of Adam, so God is going to bring forth a bride out of Christ. You see, the bride was in Adam. The bride is in Christ. Used over 130 times in the New Testament, in Christ. And just as the bride was in Adam, but was manifested at the close of the sixth day, as we looked at, and entered the seventh day of rest, so at the close of the sixth day, and that's where we're living, bride is going to be made manifest and be joined to him in holy wedlock, not unholy deadlock, and enter into a seventh day rest, Sabbath, and in this case, they'll live happily ever after. How many are looking forward to that? I, th I hope I've convinced you so far that uh, marriage of the Lamb has come, certain king made a marriage for his son, the virgins went into the marriage, I've espoused you to one husband, to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. This is a great mystery, and I speak concerning Christ and the church. And he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom, which was John, standeth and heareth him. And he rejoiced greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, and he said, My joy is fulfilled. He must increase, I must decrease. So take it for what it's worth. We'll ask John when he gets there. But how many think that's a cute thought? Yes, brother? <laughs> Who are the guests? I can't answer that question tonight. <laughs> That's why I said there's a dozen questions I threw out. Okay? And I just, if I get sidetracked on that, I will be sidetracked. It'll be like the kids in college. They say they enjoy my tangents more than my teaching. <laughs> All right, now I want you to go back to the Old Testament before we uh, get... <laughs> Get on to this. All right, you students, just hush. <laughs> I want you to go back to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we have 10, well, there's actually 11, but uh, I'm going to be dealing with one. There are, le uh, le there are 11, but I'm going to say 10, and I want to deal with one on its own in the time we have. There are 10 pictures or 10 types of Christ and his bride in the Old Testament. Five of them are in Genesis, and, and Sarah, uh, uh, five, and uh, what, how many is in 11? Six. That's right, I've got to think. <laughs> and six are beyond Genesis. I'm only going to pick out some of them. 
I want to put one on its own, first of all. The first one, and this is, this is where I'm heading, I'm saying all this to head back here. The first one is Adam, and we'll say Eve, but uh, it was Mr. and Mrs. Adam, not Eve. It was not Ad Adam and Eve is the name after the fall. How many know that? Let's just turn over to Genesis 5 while you've got Genesis here. Just uh, the students know this, but some of you other people don't seem to. Uh, but I'll forgive you this time. <laughs> Genesis 5, all this has significance because of what we're looking at here. Uh, verse 1 and 2. Genesis 5, verse 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man... In the likeness of God made he him male and female, created he them and blessed them, and what? Called their name Adam. Before the fall, it was Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Let's put it up here. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Adam. After the fall, Adam calls his wife's name Eve. But Eve is not the name that God gave her. And in this marriage, it's going to be Mr. and Mrs. Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, amen? Thank you. How many can say amen? You see, this is why it's a great joy when you go into water baptism to be baptized into the name of the bridegroom. Because taking the, the name of the bridegroom, and I'm not ashamed of his name, I'm not ashamed to be baptized into that name. Right? My wife wasn't ashamed to take my name, wasn't ashamed to take my money because I had none. <laughs> the bridal name. So it's going to be Mr. and Mrs. Adam, it's going to be Mr. and Mrs. Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. So the first one we have is Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Let's move. Time is. Then we have, I'm just, I won't put them all on the board. Uh, I'll, I'll leave this on its own, as you'll see why. Then we have um, Abraham and Sarah. And uh, also, remember the offspring that came from these. Abraham and Sarah and that only begotten son. And then we have the next uh, type of Christ in his church, Isaac and his bride, Rebecca. And then number three, we have Jacob and his bride, Rachel. Tremendous pictures of Christ and the church and how these brides were bought, brought to the husband. Jacob and Rachel. Number four, the next one in Genesis is Joseph and Asenath. His bride. And notice the characteristics of these men. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. We often study the men, but have you ever studied their, their wives? Let's put up uh, a couple more here. Now, those are the five that are mentioned in Genesis. Mr. and Mrs. Adam, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, Joseph and Asenath. Then we come down into the book of Exodus. I'll put number five here. We have Moses and Zipporah, his bride. And then we have... I'm just going to put one more here because I'm not going to finish this session. We have... Um, Boaz and Ruth. Now, as we look at these brides, each of these brides are shadowing some particular truth concerning Christ and the church, or particularly the church and the bride. Now let me throw this in while we're here before we move on to a thought here. 
The only bride that Paul goes back to in Ephesians chapter 5, he doesn't go back to Abraham and Sarah, he doesn't go back to Isaac and Rebekah, he doesn't go back to Jacob and Rachel, he doesn't go to Joseph and Asenath, doesn't go to Moses and Paul or Boaz and Ruth. The bride that he takes up in Ephesians 5 he, and verse 23 through to 32, he goes way back to the only bride that was a sinless bride. All these brides were sinners. Now, let's hang on to that a minute. Let's go over to Ephesians again. Remember, we're looking at Genesis, the seed book of the Bible, the seed plot. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, I don't know how many of you have meditated on these things or had much teaching on it. But as I've looked at these various brides over the years and seen them as types of Christ and the church, I've asked myself, why is Sarah a type of the church? Why is Rebecca and Rachel and Asenath and Zipporah and Ruth and some of the others we could name, why did God pick them out and why may they be used as types of Christ and the church? And then I saw a tremendous pattern here, blueprint, that shadows forth Christ and his church, the bridegroom and the bride. Now I'll read it from Ephesians 2. You won't pick it up at the moment until I say it. Ephesians 2 verse uh, 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made with hands that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that he might make of himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God. Now, what are the two ethnic divisions? This is the thing I want you to pick up. What are the two ethnic divisions Paul is speaking of here in Ephesians 2? All right, the two ethnic divisions he's speaking of is Jew and Gentile. And all through this passage, he's talking about one, 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 one new man. Listen to it. Verse, um, verse uh, 14. He hath made both one broken down the middle wall of petition between us, to for to make in himself of twain, two which means division in this case, one new man. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto, uh, unto God in one body by the cross. The whole thing is. Then he goes on through the epistle and ends up with the marriage, the husband and the wife being one. Now, as I looked at this, I suddenly saw God's pattern. The first three brides here are Hebrew brides. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hebrew brides. The next three brides are what? Gentile brides. Yes, yes, you can put her in too, but that's why I said there are 11 types and I'm only picking out six of them here. You had Jacob and Leah, Jacob and Rachel. Leah wasn't the one he really wanted. He wanted Rachel, but you've still got the picture there. Yes, so you could put that in too. All right, so does everybody see this? We have Hebrew brides and Gentile brides. Now, everybody has recognized Isaac is a type of Christ and Joseph is a type of Christ. Moses is a type of Christ. Boaz is a type of Christ of the tribe of Jews. So many characteristics we can pick out. Well, why does God permit Moses to marry a Gentile bride and Joseph to marry a Gentile bride and Boaz to marry a Gentile bride? And why does he say that these must marry Hebrew brides? Because it's shadowing forth that Christ's bride would be Jew and Gentile brought together in one new man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. New creature, new creation. Breaking down the middle wall of petition. And the bride of Christ 
is going to be composed of Jew and Gentile brought together in a new creation, a new birth, one new man. Through the cross. Isn't that a beautiful picture? One body. Now let's go back to Genesis. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2. turn to this but you hang on to Genesis 2 if you're taking down scriptures I suggest you put down Romans 5 and uh, verse 14 where Paul definitely tells us that Adam is a type of him who was to come I'll quote it but Romans 5 14 if you're taking down the reference nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression who is the figure and the word figure there is type. Who is the type of him that was to come? So just as we can say Eve, Mrs. Adam, was a type of, of the church, on Romans 5.14, from the lips of the same writer, Paul, he says, Adam was a figure, Adam was a type of him who was to come. So the first Adam is a type of the last Adam, the first Mrs. Adam, the first bride, is a type of the, of the uh, last bride. All right, Genesis chapter 2, we'll just take out a few thoughts. Our time's almost gone and we'll just, uh, let's have an outline. We find that uh, in verses 18, the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. It's not good that Adam should be alone. It's not good that Christ should be alone. The woman was made for the man not man for the woman. The church is made for Christ, not Christ for the church. I will make a help meet, not a help mate. I, I personally don't like the word mate. We think of animals, they mate. But a help meet, and the word is a help meet suitable for him, a complement for him. Now, the thing that we're looking at here is we're not looking at these brides tonight that are sinners because uh, this bride has been a sinner. We're looking at the first sinless bride which Paul goes back to because this sinner bride is going to become a sinless bride before the marriage takes place. Being redeemed from sin. Christ is not going to marry a sinful bride. How many believe he's going to have a perfect church? Amen. You see, he's given certain marriage laws. He gave certain marriage laws to Israel. God never gives laws to his people that he himself will not fulfill. So he has laid down certain marriage laws for his people and he himself is going to fulfill them. And one of those laws is don't be unequally yoked. Yes. So Jesus Christ cannot marry a bride that's inferior to himself but she has to be of like nature and like substance and like character before that marriage can take place. Otherwise, he would be unequally yoked together. So instead of Christ coming down to our level, he's going to lift us up to his level. He's not cutting down the garment to suit the bride. He's, uh, he's adjusting the bride to suit the garment. isn't it? So, we're going to be suitable for Christ. Isn't that a tremendous thought? <laughs> and uh, verse 19, he formed every beast out of the, out of the field, fowl of the air, and uh, Adam must have had a brilliant, unclouded mind, brilliant intelligence. God created the animals, or he formed them, but Adam named them. And to name in the Bible is to name according to the nature. Now, I could have given those animals some names. I had some nice names for some cows I used to milk on a farm once. Not suitable for publication. Uh, <laughs> but he, whatever Adam called them, so God created the, the animals and Adam named them. Now, that's a brilliant mind to name those animals and it's to name according to the nature. But for Adam, there's 
No help me. The finest looking monkey was an idiot beside Adam. <laughs> Looked at the grill, he said, Look, I wouldn't even monkey with you. <laughs> you ape. You know. So I, this is just imagination, but I think Adam was wandering, wandering around the garden one day and says, Listen, God, here's Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe and Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, Mr. and Mrs. Lion and Mr. and Mrs. All the animals have their partners in life, but for me, there's not a helpmate. I had a look over a few gorillas and apes, but all the miserable, hairy looking like Lord, there's just no response in me to them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, 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 I mean, you read that between the lines. <laughs> because, see, in verse 18, God says, Not good alone, for him to be alone, I'll make a helpmeet. And then in verse 19, God made all the beasts of the field and brought them, and he gave names. But verse 20 says, But for Adam, after naming all the animals and looking at all the beasts, there was no helpmeet. <laughs> so the Lord God caused a deep sleep. Deep sleep of Calvary. Adam's Calvary deep sleep to fall upon him. He gave him the first local anesthetic and he slept. And as someone said, Adam woke up and found himself married. I wish it would happen that way in college. Never have any problems. And this was a sovereign marriage. No man performed this marriage. God himself was the priest and the minister and heard the vows of Mr. and Mrs. Adam and joined them together in holy wedlock. The angels were guests and looked on because this was a new thing. Angels are not married nor are they given in marriage. So what is marriage? Marriage belongs to human beings and the angels looked on. What, what marriage? What's that, God? Two becoming one. It's a mystery. And it is. It'd be great at the marriage supper too. Get all those angels waiting on the tables up there. <laughs> hey, come on, bring over something else, please. You're invited, but you can't be in the marriage. You can't be in the bride. Angels cannot be in the bride. That's the highest honor that you and I have. So he took one of his ribs, and has been said so often in, the, in, in wedding, weddings, he didn't take a uh, apart from his head where the woman was to be browbeaten or a bone from his foot where she was to be trodden underfoot but he took a rib the place nearest to his heart wherever his heart where's your heart <laughs> which side somewhere here about the middle uh, one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man notice those of you who have a marginal references he made a woman builded a woman the Hebrew word is he made or he builded a woman. Now just think of this, taking one rib. Now he didn't take every member of Adam's body to be the bride. Now let me ask you a question. Was, was Eve Adam's body or Adam's bride? How many would say? Was she his body or his bride? Now we've got division here. Some say bride, some say body. How many would say both? The answer I want it. But he didn't take every member of Adam's body, but he took a rib. And from that woman he builded, builded a woman at the evening of the sixth day. And here you are, in the week of redemption, in the evening of the sixth day, and God is building a bride today. Upon this rock I'll build my bride. Upon this rock I'll build my church. The church is the bride. He's building a bride because he wants to bring her to the man. And then he brought her to the man. <laughs> wow. It's powerful. What a wedding. Great mystery. And as soon as he brought her to Adam, the prophetic spirit fell upon Adam and he began to prophesy. And he looks at her and said, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Therefore she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. Now what's Adam talking about? He had no, Adam and, uh, he had no father and mother. And Eve never had a father and mother unless her husband was a father. 
but the prophetic spirit because you see this was all prophetic let me let me interpret therefore shall a man Jesus Christ leave his father his heavenly father and his mother Mary and Judaism and be joined to his wife the church and they too will be one flesh this is a great mystery the word mystery is that which can only be known to the initiated this is a great mystery and only known to those who are initiated but I speak concerning Christ and the church and therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave the more you leave the more you cleave the less you leave the less you cleave leaving precedes cleaving the strength of cleaving is the strength of leaving and they will be one flesh I'd like you to go over to one more scripture here Leviticus chapter 21 and we'll just touch on one more little bride here before we our time's up so what I'm saying here is that the Lord has to work on his church and the bride has to make herself ready washing of water by the word that he might sanctify it and cleanse it and present it to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing and because Jesus Christ as the bridegroom is sinless and perfect and of glorified bone and body how can we be bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh unless we have a body that is likened unto his glorious body How can Jesus Christ marry a sinful bride? So it means there's going to be a tremendous work done in the church Amen. before he marries the church and this wedding takes place. And this is all shadowed forth here of like nature and substance and character, a sinless bride. Great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. One last bride here that uh, you can put on the board if you want to or on your own notes. And this is the bride of the high priest. And this is a tremendous picture here. Verse 10, Leviticus 21, verse 10. And he that is the high priest among his brethren, I'll interpret as I go, Jesus Christ is now our high priest, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, he is the Christ, the anointed one, and the anointing oil of the Spirit was poured upon him, that is consecrated to put on the garments, He's put on the garments of glory and beauty. He will not uncover his head nor rend his clothes. Neither shall he go into any dead body nor defile himself for his father or for his mother. Neither shall he go out of the sanctuary nor profane the sanctuary of his God for the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. Look at the qualifications now for the bride of the high priest. He shall take a wife in her virginity. You see, the church is going to be a virgin church. This is why I've said before sometimes when Christians backslide and commit spiritual adultery and spiritual fornication loving the world they are in great danger because they are flirting and they're, they're engaged to be married to Christ and they're flirting with other lovers. I just want to keep myself holy for the Lord, don't you? So in verse 13, he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced person. Now see, this is the qualifications for the bride of the high priest we're talking about. A widow or a divorced person, divorced woman, or profane, or an harlot, these shall he not take, but he will take a virgin of his own people to wife neither shall he profane his seed Isaiah 53 says he shall see his seed so much in this neither shall he profane his seed among his people for I the Lord do sanctify him let me finish with this when you go back to the Old Testament you find 
that the nation of Israel, Old Testament Israel, I hope you're listening, played the harlot, was married to Jehovah and played the harlot. And so Israel became a widow. All these words are used of her. Israel was divorced. Israel was called profane. Israel was called a harlot. Now Jesus Christ is our high priest. I don't know what your doctrine is about natural Israel, but if you get hold of this one, you'll adjust your doctrine, I'm sure. Jesus Christ is our high priest, and the bride that he is to marry is to be a virgin church. He is not going to marry national Israel. He cannot marry a widow, divorced, or profane, or a harlot. God has laid down the qualifications of the bride of Aaron. And that shadows the bride of Jesus Christ. He's looking for a virgin church, and all that is meant in virginity. And when we see the tremendous attack, and maybe some of you read that sickening article in Newsweek, where kids from 15 to 19 years of age over... 50 million of them or something I said I think they said in America have lost their virginity selling themselves out under peer pressure the most priceless thing that a woman has until that day of the wedding all that shadows forth what a pure church Jesus Christ is going to marry and I'd like to keep myself pure and clean for him, wouldn't you? How many feel you got something out of tonight's lesson? It's the greatest challenge to holiness that you can get is the revelation that the church is the bride of Christ. Let's stand. Father, we just thank thee for this privilege again of being able to look into your word and meditate upon the profound insights that you have therein and this greatest of all mysteries the mystery of Christ and the church we pray that the Holy Spirit will take these things that we've shared and apply them to our hearts and Lord you're wanting a bride and you said the bride hath made herself ready help us to make ourselves ready and to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and filthiness of spirit and help us to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Help us not to flirt with the world and be lovers of the pleasures of this world, but to keep ourselves holy as chaste and pure virgins to be married to you, our one husband. Help us, Lord, and we pray that you'll seal this word to our hearts as we meditate upon these things. We ask it in the name of our blessed bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. God bless you. Don't forget to be prepared next week for review. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.